Good morning, everyone. Welcome. It's so good to be here with you and to worship with you. Band, thank you so much for leading us in incredible worship, as always. Um, Thank you for each of you for your presence today. It's really, really important. And just like that, it's the beginning. It's the end of August. It's the end of Highway's fiscal year. Um, It's already the back-to-school season for lots of people. Some still have a, a month or so, like my gals, but like it's that, that season. Um, in fact, Dina and Melody had a 20% off coupon at Target that they could use for the back-to-school season as students, and it expired yesterday. So <laughs> it's that time. Uh, time is so weird. Uh, today we are um, concluding our late summer teaching series, and that's entitled Yesterday, Today, and Forever. And it's a look at active faith that's seen in Hebrews chapter 11, and an invitation for us to live actively by faith. The faith that God calls us to is more than an intangible emotion or something that we feel on the inside. Faith, as we've reflected on over these past several weeks, is manifest as action. It looks like concrete, tangible, lived-out action. Hebrews 11 has been referred to as the Hall of Faith. I think another name could be the Verbs of Faith. We've been looking at various verbs. We've been reflecting on giving and stepping out, stepping down, and obeying by faith. And today we're looking at welcoming by faith. Hebrews 11.31 tells us, By faith the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. Rahab welcomed by faith. The word translated as welcome here comes from the Greek word, which means to receive with readiness. It has a personal element, which stresses a high degree of self-involvement when doing the welcoming. And today we'll see the way in which Rahab exemplifies this and we'll reflect on what we can learn from her and ultimately Jesus' example. Her story is set in the context of the Jericho Jericho narrative that we reflected on last week. And her faith was strong before and during and after the Israelites circled Jericho for seven days and God gave them that land. So let's check it out. Please join with me in the scriptures by making your way to the Old Testament book of Joshua. To check out this account, um, you can also follow along on the screens. And I'll read it for you here. We're going to start in Joshua chapter 2, verse 1. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go, look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, Look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. So, The Israelites had been wandering through the wilderness for 40 years and now, at long last, are at the precipice of the promised land. As today's passage opens, we find them encamped at Shittim, which is about 10 miles east of the Jordan River and directly across from the Canaanite city of Jericho, 
which is a gateway to the rest of Canaan. In preparing to take the land, Joshua, Israel's newly minted leader, takes a page from his predecessor Moses' book, and he sends some spies to check things out. Now, these two spies, they cross the Jordan, they enter Jericho, and then they make their way to Rahab's house. Now, while the spies were sent in secret, word has gotten out to the king that they are in his land, and specifically that they're at Rahab's house. And so messengers are sent or dispatched to her house, and they demand that the spies be brought out. So now here, we find Rahab in this bit of a moment of truth. She can give up the spies and hand them over to the king, or she can defy him and protect the, and protect the scouts. And so as we continue on in verse 4, we read, But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had hidden them up to the roof and hidden them under she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. In biblical times, houses had flat roofs. Here's an artist's rendering of what that looked like here in Jericho. So roofs, they could be like hangout spots because of those flat roofs, because they were flat. And some people spent as much time on the roofs as they did under them. I imagine, especially in the evening, following a hot day like we've had um, a few of in these past few weeks. These roofs were also the perfect spot to dry things like linen or flax um, and things that could be dried basically in the sun. And as it turns out, they were also a brilliant spot to hide spies. So scripture tells us that the house that Rahab lived in was part of the city wall. It's been conjectured that she lived in a home that's represented by one of those tan homes that you see in the outer perimeter, that her home perhaps was butted up against and integrated into the wall. Rahab hid those spies on her roof under these stalks of flax, and she sent the men off on a wild goose chase. Now, there are two Hebrew words that are used to describe Rahab's hiding actions here. The first word is in verse 4. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. The word that we see here, translated as hidden, means to hide or to treasure up. It's often used in the context of hiding things that are treasured or important. For example, in Proverbs 10.4, we see this word when we're told that wise men store up or hide knowledge, but the mouth of a fool invites ruin. And we also see this word a few times, actually, in Exodus chapter 2, in the account of Moses' mother, who by faith defied the Pharaoh's edict to kill the sons born to Hebrew women and provided for her son's safety. In Exodus 2, verses 2 to 3, we see that when she hid when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Moses' mother, she 
hid her treasured newborn among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. The Hebrew verb for hide used to describe what she did here is the same verb that was used to describe what Rahab did, and it carries the weight of someone or something being hidden that's significant to the hider, which, in the case of today's passage, are the spies. The second Hebrew word used to describe Rahab's hiding actions is found in verse 6, which again says, But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. This Hebrew word means to hide or to conceal, and it's often used in the context of hiding or concealing something in the earth. This word is in the account we looked at a few weeks ago in this series when Moses aligned himself with the enslaved people of God. One of the ways that Moses demonstrated this was killing an Egyptian who was beating a Hebrew slave. Exodus 2, chapter 12, tells us, looking this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. So what's being conveyed here in today's passage is that Rahab hid the spies who were important to her in some way with the earth or something from the earth, which is the, um, these stalks of flax. So very resourceful of her. As we look again at the reference to, Hebrew, to Rahab in Hebrews 11.31, what we see here really is a one-sentence summary of today's account. And what Rahab did for those spies is further distilled into one word. By faith, the prostitute Rahab was because she was well. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. That one word that distills her actions is welcomed. Rahab welcomed, or received with readiness, or put another way, she extended hospitality to the spies. Now these days, thinking of hospitality can easily conjure up images of a great evening around great food with great friends. But in ancient Israel, hospitality wasn't really about that. Welcoming and receiving someone into one's house was a sacred duty. And it had particular significance with respect to foreigners or strangers. We see the basis for this in God's instructions to his people in Leviticus 19, starting in verse 33. When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God." God commanded the Israelites to welcome the stranger with kindness and love. And as part of this, he reminded them that they too were strangers enslaved in Egypt, which hearkened to their oppression there and evokes a sense of empathy. The Israelites were not to oppress the stranger or foreigner and treat them as they were treated, but rather to bless and care for them and treat them as they would actually treat themselves. So, hosts in the ancient Near East took on a significant responsibility when they welcomed someone into their home. Beyond providing food and shelter and safety, they were also to extend kindness and care and love. When Rahab welcomed the scouts, these men that she just met, when she brought these strangers into her home and then hid them and sent their pursuers away at greatest risk to herself, 
at the risk of her own life, having now committed treason on their behalf, having done all of this, she bore the fullness of weighty hospitality instructions. Rahab welcomed by faith, and her faith was manifest as bold and courageous lived out action. And this faith, it wasn't blind. Her faith was based on what she'd heard of God. Let's continue on in verse 6, which picks up after the king's men were sent away, and the coast is clear. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land, and that a great fear of you has fallen on all of us, so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to Shihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord, your God, is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Even though Rahab lived among what's described in Deuteronomy 9.4 as the wickedness of the nations, God opened the door for her to know about him, to know about his power and his might, even though up until this point she actually hadn't personally seen any of it herself. She hadn't seen God part the Red Sea as he led his people out of Egypt. She hadn't seen the Israelites defeat those Amorite kings. She hadn't seen the miracles that God performed, but as Hebrews 11.1 tells us, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. And God gave Rahab what was needed for her to have assurance and conviction for something about which she had not yet seen. This faith begins with reason, as she'd heard these stories about the God of Israel, and she'd heard it not just with her ears, as others had in Jericho, but she heard it with her heart, and she proclaims her faith to the spies. Rahab's faith is revealed in proclamation and in demonstration. And as we continue on in this narrative, we see now that Rahab boldly and courageously welcomed her family by faith. Rahab asked the spies to spare her father, and mother, brothers, and sisters, and their families when the Israelites would come to conquer the land. The spies agree, and they agree upon a sign, a scarlet cord tied in her window, which would bind them to this oath. Now, they also issue a disclaimer. Rahab's family would only be safe inside of her house, and so if they're found in the streets or anywhere else, then all bets are off. So the scouts return to Shittim and give Joshua two thumbs up for their report. The Lord has surely given us the whole land into our hands. All the people there, they are melting in fear because of us. The Israelites, they go to Jericho. They circle its walls for seven days and then destroy the city and its people, everyone, except Rahab and her household because she had hidden those spies. So Rahab's home was a place of refuge again. She welcomed her extended family into her home, her advocacy and her hospitality saved their lives. And she did this in very much the same way that she did for those spies when she took them in. 
regardless of personal cost. That's living by faith. We began this teaching series with a look at the New Testament book of Hebrews, which is the basis and inspiration for this series. It's a sermon which opens with these eternal truths about Jesus, and then it lists some incredible examples of faith, and then it concludes with these instructions for life. We see them in chapter 13, which begins, keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison, and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. The author exhorts the audience to keep on loving one another and gives these examples of what that can look like. We can keep on loving one another by showing hospitality to or welcoming in the stranger. We can keep on loving one another by remembering those imprisoned and to do this as if we were together with them in prison. We can keep on loving one another by remembering the mistreated as if we ourselves were the one being mistreated. Welcoming by faith from a space of empathy and a high degree of self-involvement is vital to following in the way of Jesus, whose very presence here on earth, being fully God and also fully human, was the supreme act of empathy with humankind, undertaken for the supreme act of welcome for all of humanity. The scarlet cord running down Rahab's window, which saved her and her family during the conquest of Jericho, invites us to remember the blood of Jesus, shed, which saved us. Through Jesus' love and outstretched arms on the cross, all of humanity are welcomed into God's kingdom. And when we as individuals and the church extend arms of love and welcome to the unembraced, we participate in the kingdom that was foretold yesterday and embraced today and will reign forever. It's been said that Rahab foreshadows and symbolizes the church. As the first recorded Gentile to be welcomed or grafted into God's family, Rahab foreshadows the multi-ethnic church which Jesus bought by paying the ultimate price. Revelation 5.9 tells us, with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. The grafting of Rahab into God's family is so complete that Rahab is in the lineage of Jesus Christ, whose genealogy we find in Matthew chapter 1. Rahab foreshadows the church of all nations. Rahab also symbolizes the church. We see this in the way that she herself was welcomed and the way that she welcomed others. Rahab is welcomed into God's family, even though she's triply marginalized as a Canaanite, a woman, and a prostitute. Through the unmerited gift of Jesus, all of humanity are welcomed into the body of Christ, no matter our status, no matter our past. Rahab symbolizes the church in the way she was welcomed into God's family. And she symbolizes the church in the way that she welcomed others, receiving them with readiness as one would a treasure or someone of great importance. 
Her protective nature was seen as she welcomed the spies and her family. God's church is called to welcome everyone, everyone, and to treasure them who come, who enter in, to be a place of refuge, to be a, a safe spot in the wall for others when everything around them is crumbling. Rahab welcomed others. She was a refuge and an advocate for others, as the church is called to be and do. Tragically, there have been so many for whom the church has not welcomed well. There have been denominational divisions and other deep schisms around the church's poor treatment of the LGBTQ plus community, women, the black community, the materially poor, just to name a few. The marginalized, misunderstood, and mistreated are strangers and foreigners in our midst. As we remember them, as if we ourselves are suffering, as we seek to align ourselves with and welcome them, a great place to start is to learn about their realities, to learn about the realities both current and historical. As Kirk Davis, a pastor and black community leader in San Francisco said at a rally following George Floyd's murder, we cannot write a shared future until we have a shared past. There are so many opportunities to learn about the realities of the oppressed and the systems that oppress them. One is happening tonight, as Esther mentioned. This evening, our racial justice group will host a session at which we'll look at the history of redlining and housing segregation in our very own backyards. If you haven't already done so, I encourage you to sign up for that and to do it soon because there is pre-reading um, or to sign up for any of the sessions between now and the end of September. Another great place to start is simply presence and friendship. Remembering those who are mistreated and suffering as if we ourselves are suffering suggests the ability to deeply understand what the other is going through. And there's no better way to do that than to be close. The first Wednesday of every month, Highway packs and distributes meals at Hope's Corner, which is a ministry in downtown Mountain View that supports the underhoused. And if I may, I'll say that connecting with the clients is the best part. The food distribution is just an excuse to do that. If you're interested in participating on a Wednesday morning, please let us know by reaching out by way of our website, and you can click on the Contact Us uh, menu. The church, it's not a building. It's the people. It's the body of individuals unified in Christ and sent in his name. Each of us are called to love the stranger who sojourns with us as ourselves. For we were enslaved strangers who were set free and liberated and welcomed in by the Lord Jesus Christ. Seven months ago, in late January, about a dozen folks from Highway began a 32-week spiritual formation journey called the Ignatian Adventure. We'll finish up in about a week and a half. And this week's reading involves a prayer from St. Teresa of Avila, which captures the powerful implication of being an individual in the body of Christ. It reads, Christ has no body but yours, no hands, no feet on earth but yours. 
Yours are the eyes with which he looks compassion on this world. Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands with which he blesses all the world. Yours are the hands. Yours are the feet. Yours are the eyes. You are his body. Christ has no body now on earth but yours. As you hear these words, what stirs in you? What might it look like to be Christ's tangible arms of welcome in this time and in this place, personally and readily? To take a a first step or a next step in embodying the beautiful picture of what the church is actually called to do and to be by faith. As we conclude our time this morning, and as we close out this series, please receive this benediction from the close of the Hebrew sermon. Now, may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will, and may he work in us, what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen.